self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. So I'm checking in with myself, whether that's my body or my emotional state, and then seeing, okay, what do you need right now? You know, most people, they use self-care. talking about, oh, go get a massage, kind of this pampering kind of feeling versus what you're saying is it's really how you speak to yourself. Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Biles. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too-muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for another episode of ADHD for Smartass Women. Before we start, I just want to remind you that you may find my new book with HarperCollins' William Morrow, also called ADHD for Smartass Women, wherever you buy your books. It's a compilation of all of our learnings here on this podcast. If you'd like more information, go to ADHDforsmartwomen.com. Now, on to the podcast. You know my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so for this reason, I am just delighted to introduce you to Taylor Elise Morrison. Diagnosed with ADHD at age 29, Taylor turned being bad at self-care and being firmly convinced of every human's potential. I love that, Taylor. I think we share that into a career. She's the founder of Inner Workout and the author of a book by the same name, Inner Workout. Recently named one of Fortune's 10 innovators shaping the future of health, Taylor and Inner Workout have been featured in prominent publications such as Fast Company, Quartz, Fortune, Mind Body Green, Forbes, and many more. Taylor is tired of aspirational wellness as usual. Instead, she makes well-being and personal development more accessible. Taylor uses her coaching, mindfulness, and movement training to meet people where they're at and offer actionable steps towards creating a world without burnout. Taylor, welcome. And did I get all of that right? 
Yeah, you got it totally right. It's always a little uncomfortable hearing someone say your bio and being like, oh, yeah, I did do all of those things. That is me. Um, Thank you, Tracy, for having me on the show. Absolutely. And I I honestly think that that is especially for women with ADHD brains. You know, we tend to, especially entrepreneurial sorts, we tend to be what I call next people. So we accomplish something and then we move on to what's the next big thing that I can accomplish instead of really staying in there and celebrating. Now, I know you do things differently now, but I think that's part of it. You hear all these things and you're like, wait, did I do all of that, right? So, you know, we're going to talk about what it is that you came here to talk about. But before we do that, I would love to talk about your ADHD diagnoses first, if that's okay. Yeah, I would love to share more about it. Wonderful. So can you tell us what were the circumstances around your diagnoses? Were you diagnosed as a child or I think um, 29 years old, you were not diagnosed as a child. (laughs) Tell me. No, I was not diagnosed as a child. So really what happened was maybe for about a year or so, I started noticing people in my life who had ADHD or were getting diagnosed with ADHD or maybe got diagnosed as kids and never mentioned it in our relationship or in our friendship, but then it it came off. And I was like, oh, I've always identified with you. I've always felt like I had so much in common with you. I wonder if that's something that I have going on as well. Um, But it really came to a head where I had a summer where I just had so much going on at once. I have what I like to call a portfolio career. So I have my company inner workout. I also have other consulting and other business endeavors that I do. And I love it. I just also realized, oh, this isn't quote unquote normal. And I know sometimes folks with ADHD, they will have like multiple stimuli that they have to get in the exact right way in order to work. So someone might have like YouTube on and music and something else to get in their zone. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment, I was like, oh, I think I'm doing that with my career. And I wonder if I should talk to someone about whether or not I have ADHD. And so that's when I started doing a lot of research myself and noticing how because I, that's why I love being on this podcast for smart ass women, because I actually did decently well at school, I am kind of book smart. I was able to slide under the radar. I also had a lot of structure in my home. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really realize (laughs) all of the pieces of my ADHD until one big point was when I went to college and all of a sudden I had to try and everything was hard. And then as I've continued to grow into my adulthood, I realized, oh, when I have to create the structure myself, I really struggle to do that. I get really distracted. And so that's kind of what made me seek out a diagnosis. That's so interesting. So your experience sounds so much like my own. And first, I want to say that I have never heard someone use the term portfolio career. And I love that. Lots of times I hear serial entrepreneur and I'm thinking, that sounds terrible, right? It's just kind of one thing after another and versus portfolio, that's something you build. So I just, I really love that you use that phrase. So I'm curious, when you say you were book smart, did you always feel, however, you could do well, but you always felt like you could do better and you had to work harder than everyone else? 
or was it just, was that just your area of interest and it just came so naturally to you? Um, I think I mostly did well when it was interesting. I did well in school across the board, but I did better when it was interesting to me. Did you ever study anything that wasn't interesting to you? I mean, I studied for school, so I did all of my, I think it was partly because of the structure, like my parents just really value education. So on my own, I never study anything that's not interesting to me. But in school, I would do it and it would feel like pulling teeth. And I remember getting in arguments with my mom who started her career as an English teacher. And it's like, I love writing. So writing the first draft of the piece, amazing. Then when I have to edit it, my mom and I would get in arguments because it's like, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the grammar (laughs) or I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of like how I should change something. I did it. It's done. So there were things where I could just mostly get by in school, but then there was pieces where it would be really difficult. And I guess I just got lucky that I, for nature, for nurture, didn't have that hard of time in school from like a grades perspective. What was hard for me now that I look back was I was always like bored and distracted, (laughs) but I, for a lot of reasons... If you're listening to this, you can't hear, but I'm a Black woman. I went to school in a predominantly white space. I think I felt a lot of responsibility to, which was a lot of pressure looking back to put on myself, but I felt a lot of responsibility to represent my race. So I would be like fidgeting, but I would fidget my toes or something so that you wouldn't see that I was doing that. Or I'd look like I was taking notes, but I was doodling song lyrics. So there's a lot of ways where... Now I would probably call it masking, where stuff was going on, but because I wasn't making outbursts in class and because my grades were good, you wouldn't think that I had ADHD unless you were inside my brain. Yeah. So I'm curious about college, though. You said that that was it the first year that you struggled? Yeah. How? It kicked my ass. Um, What were you studying, first of all? Yeah, I studied, I went to Vanderbilt, Uh and I studied human and organizational development, and I double majored in Spanish because I needed some extra credits. And so I was like, might as well double major. And what I struggled with, I think, was one, creating the structure Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, they're just going to give you a syllabus, and they may or may not remind you when everything's due. So it's on you to make sure you're steadily working towards those goals. Yeah. It also was just the material was more difficult for me. In school growing up, the material did not feel that hard for me most of the time. But this was like new concepts. This was the first time where I'd be sitting in a class and feeling like they're speaking a different language, especially math and science for me is just not my jam. And I remember being in this calculus class. So happy to hear that. And it was so hard. Yes, calculus totally kicked my arse too. Oh, calculus. And what's the one, the two that you take? Calculus and biochem. Did you have to do biochem your first year too? I did not have to do biochem. And I actually got smarter because I could have taken calculus pass fail, but I didn't know that I could have done that. So when I did take chemistry later, I took it pass fail and that worked really well for me. That's great. And the thing, too, is you're at Vanderbilt, right? So not only is everything harder, but the students are all at the top of their, you know, their high school classes, right? So it's just more, it's more competition, frankly. Yeah. Did you struggle with any of the social stuff? 
I mean, I can tell you for myself, I had really strict parents. And like your parents, education was so important. And so that was the focus. And my dad was a dentist. So I thought, well, if he's a dentist, I can be a dentist. Having no real interest in anything related to science or math, which is why it was all it was so hard. But then on top of that, all of a sudden, I could do all these things socially that I hadn't really been allowed to do before. And I was literally burning both ends. I think that for me, more of my social struggle is now now looking back was around like the rejection sensitivity oh. things mm-hmm. and taking things so personally and meeting new people and being like, oh, did I say the wrong thing? And now I'm not going to have friends <laughs> or or those sorts of pieces. I did do a lot of extracurriculars. So I was often like going to this club and then trying to do this and then trying to do that. I'm just not much of a night owl, honestly, though. So my issue wasn't really staying out late and partying and that kind of thing. It was more the I'm doing a million things at school that are official. Plus, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and research something and decide I want to start this company and that kind of thing. You were just like me. So you were very entrepreneurial, even at a young age. So in college, we had this thing called, maybe it was called entrepreneurial college or entrepreneurs college, and you could apply and then you could start a business. Did they have anything like that at Vanderbilt? No, they didn't. I had a couple of things that I I kind of did like side hustles Mm -hmm. throughout college, but I don't think they had an official program like that. There might have been the closest thing was one class that I took in the business school where, well, Vanderbilt doesn't have an official business school, but that's a whole other thing. But in the school that does things related to business, um, and we got to have an actual client, and I got to build out a marketing strategy for them that they actually used. Wow. That's another thing I noticed is like I do well in school when I know it's actually applied to something. Yes. So if we're just like sitting and talking about political philosophy, I don't care that much. But if you're telling me that this business is going to use the strategy that I build, that gets me so engaged. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's 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 our ADHD brains, right? It's it's interest, frankly. And then you throw justice sensitivity in there, too. So we're fighting for something we really believe in. And the sky's the limit. So what made you even consider getting diagnosed? Because it doesn't sound like you were really struggling. Or maybe you were, and I just didn't hear that in how you phrased everything so positively. I mean... I think that's part of why I've had my own imposter syndrome around talking about ADHD, because so many people that I do know really struggled with the school side of it. Mm -hmm. And that isn't it for me. Even now, like being someone who's self-employed, I'm pretty good at putting structure in my work. But the places where I struggle are like keeping my house clean, making sure I eat enough every day not thinking that everyone hates me, paying attention to things that maybe aren't as interesting to me. Like my husband is going to talk to me sometimes about things that I don't necessarily care about, but he's my partner. So I need to be able to stay engaged in that conversation. And frankly, sometimes it's really hard. So a lot of the places where I struggle is more in the personal life where we're not 
taught to build all of that structure. Like we didn't take a class in school to say, here's how you meal prep for a week, or here's how you make sure that your condo stays clean. And that's where I tend to struggle the most. So interesting. You know, Carolyn McGuire, who's the social skills expert, I think it's her. And she uses the term caught versus taught. And that so for some of the things, you know, when you're talking specifically about social skills, where we just People just either naturally know it, right? It's caught versus it's taught, you know, why this happens and why you need to pause. And you need to, if someone's, you know, talking about themselves you, and you're not interested, you need to pause and you need to at least find something that you can be interested in what they're, you know, what they're saying versus then just flipping it around and talking about what you're interested in. So once you knew it was ADHD and you got that diagnosis, What changed? Man, a lot of things changed. I had so much more compassion for myself. Um, Especially like I have had, I, I mentioned earlier that I had a lot of structure in my home. And so like, even if I didn't necessarily want to keep my room clean, it could only get to a certain point. But when you have your own place, you can theoretically let your place get as messy as possible. And so I would have a lot of shame or confusion around like, why can I perform at such a high level in other parts of my life, but doing the things that other people seem to do with so much ease, like it's such a struggle. Like I will cheer to myself and I'm like, I didn't just put this thing down. I threw it away right away or I put it where it goes right away. Like that takes so much intention for me. Also things like losing stuff all the time. Like I had an explanation for it and it used to just, I think the headline is there are so many things that I thought were like character deficits that now had an explanation. And now instead of being like, you are bad, you are wrong, I could be like, Taylor, your brain just works differently. How can you get support? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. So were you diagnosed with inattentive or combined type? Inattentive. Okay. Prim- primarily inattentive. That That's interesting. And I guess that would make sense. You seem so calm and together and And I'm sure a lot of that, you know, over time, it's like masking, right? Where what people see is so different than how you may feel inside at times. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's really it. Like you can't see even on video right now, but like you're talking and I'm like fidgeting with my hands to stay engaged or my fidget toy is actually over there. But like, I coach, I have one-on-one clients and I have things that I do to keep myself paying attention. So a lot of it is, it's kind of like a duck. I grew up doing ballet and we would talk about how you're kind of like a duck. You have like so much effort that's going on, but you make it look so graceful. And I feel like that has been what happened for a lot of my life is I would do be doing a lot underneath the surface to try and keep it together. But because I was doing such a good job at trying to keep it together, people couldn't see what was going on beneath the surface. And that kind of gets into some of the rejection sensitivity, too, because I've noticed, and this is something I've been working through recently, is when, especially in my personal life, I feel like I'm trying so hard to be considerate or to keep something in place or to keep something else. 
and then something goes wrong or something isn't perfect, then I can have an outsized emotional reaction because it's like, but I'm trying so hard and it's still not good enough. Yeah. So yeah. And people don't see it, right? They don't know how much efforting that took. We have another thing in common, ballet. I 100% believe that ballet literally changed my life. I think it changed my brain. I danced six days a week for almost 10 years. And there was something about going to, and, and I'm not even sure I loved ballet, to be honest. You know, when you're, when you're going six days a week and I had, you know, tiger parents, a Japanese American father and a German mother. And so it was all about, you know, the ballet and everything classical, the musical instruments, all of that. And I'm not sure that was really my thing. But I really believe that I have such an appreciation for ballet now, but I really believe that ballet made a big difference as far as executive functions and just burning. I had so much hyperactivity. So I would love to talk about the reason why we um, were so interested to have you here on the podcast. And I'd love to start with, you know, when I went and did the research on you, Taylor, I saw the word self-care come up over and over again. And I would love to know what your definition of self-care is. Yeah, the definition that I use and now that Inner Workout uses is that self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And yeah, using that definition has completely changed my life and perspective on what it looks like to care for myself. And that makes so much sense because we know that the ADHD brain positively thrives with positive emotion and withers with negative emotion. So I love that, you know, most people, they use self-care and I'm kind of like, eh, you know, and they're talking about, oh, go get go get a massage. Of course, they talk about exercise, you know, the typical things, but it's more kind of this pampering kind of feeling versus what you're saying is it's really how you speak to yourself. Yeah, I... It's the shift from self-care as like an item on your to-do list as something you buy into self-care is a conversation. So I'm checking in with myself, whether that's my body or my emotional state, and then seeing, okay, what do you need right now? And it honors you as the expert of your own experience. Because I'll say another thing that now I wrote the book before I was diagnosed with ADHD. And now looking back, some of the things that I said, I'm like, oh, of course I have this perspective. I didn't know I was neurodivergent at that time. Uh Um, So many things where we talk about resting as just like, rest is just sitting still. Rest is just these things. When actually some of the times I'm most restful, quote unquote, are when I'm like painting or doing something that is even ballet to a certain extent, doing something that uses my body in a way that's steady enough that then my mind can get to a relaxed state. But if I just try and say, Taylor, lay still, that doesn't feel restful to me. It actually feels pretty stressful. Yeah. So when you were writing your book, you weren't diagnosed. And so the advice you give is so good for the ADHD brain, but when you wrote it, you didn't even realize that. It was what you had created to work with your own brain. Yeah, and I realized that over and over again. Like, my portfolio career is a coping strategy for my inattentiveness, and it's a way to help point my 
attention. The way that I approach self-care is a coping strategy for all of the ways that I saw society talking about self-care that weren't making me feel cared for. Yeah, it was almost like one more thing on your list, right? It was stressful and anxiety producing. So one of the other things that you talk a lot about is community care, which I just love. And so I want you to talk to us about how community care interfaces with ADHD. Yeah, this is such a big one in general. If you are listening to this and you live in the U.S., you live in the most individualistic society in the world. And even if you don't live in the U.S., you probably live in one of the more individualistic societies. And what that does is it tells us that Everything is our responsibility. We have to handle everything on our own. And when your brain works differently and you're constantly living in a society that wasn't designed for people who think like you, it gets really difficult and it gets really demoralizing. And even these things that we're doing for our self-care can end up feeling like, I don't, almost punitive. Mm -hmm. Or when we don't do it the way that that person over there does it. We don't meditate the way that they meditate. We don't move our body the way that they move. We feel bad and we feel like we're wrong. Yeah. And so community care lets us know that actually, as humans, we were made to exist in community. And that is so much more true for people who have ADHD, who live with ADHD. For example, the other day, I locked myself out of the house. Unfortunately, that is a relatively regular thing that happens, especially when I like walk my dog and then I come back in real quick and then I go out to do something else. And if I don't in that time do my check to make sure I have everything, I'll lock myself out. So this happened. Thankfully, my friend lives down the street. She also has ADHD and we have sets of keys to each other's house. So I was like, shoot, I'm locked out. Let me call Joy let me go get my set of keys. There was a time where I would have felt so ashamed about that. And I would have just like stood outside in the cold and been like, you should be a person who can remember their keys. Or another key related thing. My, my parents know that I'm really good at getting gifts for other people, not great at getting gifts for myself. They also know I lose stuff a lot. So they got me like a variety pack of air tags so I could put them on my keys and I could put them on my wallet and all of those places. My mom also knows that I do really well with body doubling and accountability. So she's like, Taylor, do you want me to come over sometime this month so that we can reorganize one of your closets? She loves organizing stuff. Going to container store is like so, so fun for her. And she knows that it will bother me that that thing isn't organized, but I'm going to have really trouble motivating myself to do it if she isn't there. So those types of things are ways that I'm able to be supported by the people in my community because I'm honest about where I'm struggling and where I could use that extra help. Yeah. So even community, you kind of reframed it a little bit. I mean, a community, when I think of community, I think about a big group of people, but you're talking about just how you, like even in one individual, right, is a community. Yeah. If it helps you feel better about who you are, it's kind of tied back into the self-care thing. And well, when I say community, I'm thinking of who you are in community with. So yes, mm. we have... Our, our neighborhood is a community, but 
And there are ways that we can practice community care within our community, be a good neighbor, pick up your dog's poop or whatever that is. But when we're talking about community care and support systems, I'm thinking about the people that I'm building relationships with, whether those are my friends or my partner or my parents or people that I pay, my therapist, my ADHD coach, whoever that might be. And so when we are in community with people, when we're building that community, there's opportunities for us to both give and receive care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. So I constantly hear women talking about, especially ADHD women, about exercise and how much they hate exercise. But we know that exercise is probably one of the best things that the ADHD brain can do for itself, right? It pops our dopamine. It calms our nervous system. We're in control of it. So where do you start if you have such a negative attitude and ideas and thoughts around exercise? I mean, I actually have ADHD women who get upset at me. Like, no. I can't, so I stopped using the term exercise. I use move your body, you know, whatever that means for you. Where do you start? What do you suggest? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I, I tend to use terms like movement and moving your body for those same reasons, because exercise can bring a lot of negative connotations, a lot of shame, a lot of I was supposed to do this thing in gym class and I didn't or whatever mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. And so... I would think back to when you were a kid, what type of movement you enjoyed doing. I have a friend who has been in like a kickball league and it's something that she can put down on your on her calendar. That's another thing that I would recommend to you is look at ways that you can build in. This kind of goes back to that community care, but how can you build in support and accountability once you find out what is fun for you? And if fun feels like too high a bar, what is tolerable for you? Like, could you go on a walk with one of your friends and talk about the episode of Real Housewives or whatever it is that you like to do? And you know, like, Tuesday evenings, we go on our walk and we talk about Real Housewives. For me, something that's been really good, I actually just started doing ballet again last year. And I realized that part of why I'm able to be so structured at work is because I live and die by my calendar. Mm -hmm. And I have a great virtual assistant who supports me and all of those things. I wasn't living and dying by my calendar in my personal life. And so I started thinking, how can I put more movement and fun on my calendar? So now I have ballet class Tuesday nights, modern class Saturday afternoon. And those are things like once it's there, I will show up. I feel a sense of accountability. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about that today. I have not been part of a structured dance class in, I don't even, I can't even remember. And I just texted someone and said, is there anything around here like jazz? Because I had forgotten about how good it feels to, I don't know why, but I love to like learn like steps and, you know, and then you can do it all with the, you know, feels like you're on Broadway for like, you know, an hour. Um. So is there anything else that you can recommend in that regard? So there was a woman in our big Facebook group, like yesterday, I think, and she posted that she really struggles with her weight. And she has tried for decades to lose weight and has not been successful. And 
what really helped her was to stop thinking about you have to lose weight, you weigh too much, you don't feel good, blah, 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 and really focus on how she feels when she's doing certain things that maybe before were called exercise, but now she's kind of reframed them and is doing things that really are moving her body. What am I? I'm just going on and on here. Really are moving her body, but it doesn't feel like it used to feel, you know, saying I need to exercise. And maybe she, I think she's doing different things too. Yeah. Well, I I think there's something important there, which is she found something that connected with her motivation and her interest. So that's why I was saying, like, if you have to habit stack and it's like, I walk and I talk about the Real Housewives or something else, but you got to find what is it that is interesting to you. Um, Another thing that I've seen work well for people is if you have a show that you like to watch or podcasts that you like to listen, you only do that while you're doing the form of movement that is tolerable for you. So that can work really well. The other thing that I see really limit people is thinking like, okay, I just saw this person online and they ran an ultra marathon. So unless I'm training for an ultra marathon, then I'm not doing it right. You need to meet yourself where you are. So if you have not moved your body in any structured way other than like walking to and from your car, then you're not going to start by training for an ultra marathon. You're going to start with five minutes or you're going to start with stretching before bed. I'm a big fan of finding something to start with that is accessible and sustainable and then building from there. And you and I right now are recording this in January, which is such a time where people, especially people who live with ADHD, we can be like, I'm going to be a different person now. I'm going to do all of these things and change. And then we overwhelm ourselves and then we go back and then we go back to what is comfortable. And so... I would really challenge folks to try and start small to see like, and make it a challenge, make it fun. Can I do this for five days in a row, stretch before bed? How much stretching can I do in five minutes? Make it more fun and playful for yourself. Yeah. And the thing about it is, if you make that commitment to yourself, you've got intention behind it, right? And you've also built an identity. I am the kind of person who stretches for five minutes before I go to bed because it's something that's really important to you. After five days, what you're proving to yourself is that you can rely on yourself. And I think that what a lot of ADHD women do is they stop trusting themselves because for years, sometimes for decades, they've been told that their way is the wrong way. And so the way to flip that script for themselves is to do something really small, like stretching for five minutes before bed, because they want to do it, not because someone else wants to do it or is telling them they should do it. Absolutely. And just to underscore that shift that you just made, part of why I don't like using the term exercise is, one, it's really steeped in diet culture, but it's also really steeped in a lot of shoulds. This is how you you should exercise for this amount of time, and it only counts as exercise if it's this. But if you're talking about moving your body, you're the only person who knows what feels good in your body. So it puts you back in this role of expert, and you get to explore what does feel good in your body. That's another shift that I've done with myself sometimes is 
instead of starting with a goal in the traditional sense, I'll ask a question. And so I'll set a goal for over the course of a month. I want to figure out five things that feel good in my body. Or I want to have an understanding of what type of movement feels good in my body. And in order to answer that question, I have to take action. I can't watch a YouTube video that tells me what feels good in my body. I have to experiment to figure it out for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So it's what you just said. It's it's always about action, right? We think in our head that we know, oh, this is what we should should do. This is what we shouldn't do. But until we actually do it, we don't know. And you may think you hate exercise and that whole term. But then, like you said, you go to a dance class and you're like, oh, my gosh, this totally lights me up. This is not what I thought exercise would feel like. And so then you can make those decisions that feel good to you. Hi, this is Tracy. I wanted to let you know about a free program that I'm running in April called Three Days to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain. Look, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that I do not believe in pathologizing neurodiversity. And I certainly don't believe that the ADHD brain is disordered. I believe that it's just a different brain that requires its own user's manual to be happy and successful. I always say that we're Macs in a Windows-driven world. After all, why should we pathologize brilliant brains who have non-linear creative ways of thinking, processing, and learning? Look, in just three days, I'm going to show you how to fall in love with your ADHD brain. Together, we're going to learn how our ADHD brains work, why ADHD shows up differently in women, we're going to replace shame with pride and create our own ADHD user's manual so you can work with your brain instead of against it. I'm also going to show you how to make better, more confident decisions and stop that ruminating brain in its tracks. Finally, together, we're going to talk about how to answer that, what do I do with my life question. Let me share with you one of the comments that a former three days to fall in love with your ADHD brain student shared with me. Tracy, I am so impressed and amazed by the depth of the content you shared with all of us for no charge. This has been a truly meaningful, helpful, and hope-giving gift. I think I could spend many months working through all of the tips, information, and resources you've provided us for learning to understand and love our ADHD brains. The love and support that the women in this group have provided is mind-boggling but it's also a reflection of who you are. I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. And remember, it's all entirely free, so no cost to you at all. The free training will be live and start in April, and we're going to meet every day at 10 a.m. Pacific time. There will also be a Facebook group with women just like you to build community with. If this sounds like something that might benefit you, you may sign up at spyhappy.me forward slash three days. That's spyhappy.me forward slash three days. And just as an aside, if you can't make that time, know that there will be replays. So I really hope to see you there. So I want to know, what does inner workout do? Like, why did you start it? How do you work with people? Like, tell me all the stuff. Absolutely. So 
I found it in a workout in 2019 after experiencing a lot of burnout. Again, that's another thing where I look back and I'm like, oh, I was doing all these things to give myself dopamine and to stay interested and overwhelmed myself. And so I started practicing self-care the way that I talk about it now is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And I realized, kind of referring back to what you talked about, about things being taught or caught, we aren't really taught to practice self-care. We aren't really taught how to listen to ourselves. And I wanted to create a company that helped people do that. So the main way that we do that right now, it's evolved a lot over the years, as you might guess, as a company run by someone with ADHD. We're in the process of launching an inner workout app that has two main goals to help people find time for self-care by blocking yourself out of distracting apps because we can definitely go down rabbit holes, especially where we're getting those little dopamine hits of, oh, there's another new video. And then the other thing is to help people practice self-care with the time that they have. So we have meditations, we have mini courses, all that can be completed in 10 minutes or less, which is really great for folks with ADHD who, I know for me, I don't actually always want to spend 20 minutes doing something and I will rather, I would rather not do it than do 20 minutes. And so this meets people where they are. Outside of the app, we have the Inner Workout book, we have the Inner Warm-Up podcast, and we have the Self-Care Sundays newsletter. And it's all just really trying to create things that talk about self-care, talk about you doing your inner work, and give you really practical tools to apply it in your life. So do you also do coaching? Do you have group programs? Do you do anything like that? I have a one-on-one coaching practice where I work with people. Um, and then with Inner Workout, we have, we call them shift sessions, which are these 60-minute sessions where we drill into one thing that you can do that will make it a ripple effect in your well-being. So longer-term coaching I do in my private practice and these one-on-one sessions we do with Inner Workout as shift sessions. Okay, so the shift sessions are not, is is it with a community or are those also one-to-one? It's one-on-one, yeah. Okay, okay. So you've got the app, the podcast, the book, and then two different types of coaching. Yep. And the app is currently available? The app is launching in February. Oh my gosh, is that just so much work to get an app? Like, how long have you been working on this? Um, It's been since end of June. So it's been a good six, seven months. It's a lot of work. It's such a labor of love, though. And also, I've been, even before I started Inner Workout, I've been talking about self-care and doing these things. And so it's really nice to conceptualize these tools in a way that people can actually use them. Because I know I'm not the only one listeners can probably relate to. You hear something on a podcast and you're like, oh, yeah, that's so good. I'm totally going to apply it. And then you just don't because there's no way to integrate it in your life. And so or you forget. it felt really fun. Yeah, exactly. It was something you even wanted to do. Oh, just the forgetting lately. Like I take photos of everything on my phone, you know, and then I'll send those photos to my I'll text myself. And then I always think, oh, then I'll have time to go back, you know, and usually I don't. But every once in a while, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot that. So then I send myself an email because how did I forget it? You know, so do you have a date that you're launching in February? Because this podcast will air in February. 
So I would love to be able to send people there. Do you know when you're going to launch in February? The plan is on Sunday, February 11th, barring any crazy technical difficulties. Okay, so definitely by the time you hear this podcast, the app will have launched, fingers crossed. And what will the app be called? Inner Workout as well? Yep. Ah, you're so smart. Keep it we just all the streamline same. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so Taylor, what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you so good at what you do? Because I can tell you are good at what you do just by talking to you. I think two main things. So one is that I feel like when I get interested in something, I really get interested and I make all of these connections that people aren't necessarily making. So that makes me really good at what I do because I might talk about something you've heard a million times, but we're going to add a different metaphor or layer something else on top. The other thing is that I genuinely am not naturally good at self-care. And sometimes when you are so good at something, you make tools that aren't actually helpful to people because it just comes naturally to you. But I've like been through the trenches. I am in the trenches. And so I feel like I'm making something for the everyday person, not for the person who can like meditate on a mountain for three hours every day. Yeah, totally. Okay, wait, before we have to talk about meditation, I have always struggled with meditation which is frankly why I love tapping so much because I get to move and tap on my body instead of, you know, focus on the doorknob, focus on the doorknob. That's what I tell myself when I'm trying to meditate because I need to focus on something. So I'd love for you to talk about that as far as meditation and the ADHD brain and what you think about all of it. Yeah. So where I've landed on it personally, and people can choose whether or not this resonates with them, is I really like mindfulness practices, and there are mindfulness meditations, but I will find often that it's more useful for me to do something like wash dishes and not have anything else on in the background and just be noticing the sensations of the water on my hands, etc. Or I'll even have moments where like my dog's food spilled. And so instead of rushing through it, I just make it a mindfulness practice and I'm looking at, okay, I never pay that much attention to dog food. They're all shaped slightly different. It smells kind of weird. How does it feel in my hands? So those are the types of practices that I find myself more drawn to and or practices that pair similar to tapping, but it could be a yoga practice. It could be Pilates, anything with a mind-body connection. I can do more traditional meditations, but I find myself being more focused on, can I get to 10 minutes? Can I get to 15 minutes than actually being focused on the practice? That is so interesting because of that drivenness that you have, Mm -hmm. right? And achievement (laughs) and goal setting. and, And I think a lot of ADHD women probably will say, well, I set goals and I can never achieve them. So What's the deal with these women who are constantly setting goals and achieving them? For me, I think it's the hyperactivity. So as much as you say you're inattentive, drivenness is a form of hyperactivity. And so I think that 
that's another way that hyperactivity comes out that we don't really, certainly for women, like we just, we don't really know what it looks like in women. Yeah. And I I think I would also say too, it goes back to like what you can see versus what you can't see. So like you can hear my bio and you can see all of these things. If I turned my camera, you would see that like there's stuff all over because my husband and I have been reorganizing multiple closets, but then we kind of got distracted. So there are things all over the place, but like, I'm not necessarily going to post that on Instagram. And so it seems like I'm hitting a lot of goals, but there are probably things that you do really well in your daily life that I am like, yes, I did that today. And it was an achievement that I did it that day. What's well, that consistent inconsistency, right? We're so brilliant at certain things that we're really interested in. And the other things, like, we could care less. And it doesn't matter if the whole world thinks this is really important to do. It's, like, just not our thing. I love that. So what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? This is such a good question. I think the key is being really honest with yourself. One of the big things that ADHD gave me is just a level of honesty that this is something I struggle with. This is something I probably will always struggle with. So instead of thinking that tomorrow I can wake up and be a different person who never forgets their keys, I need strategies for when I do forget my keys. Yes, I do have strategies to help me not forget them, like doing checks at the door, but sometimes I'll forget to do the checks at the door. So then what do I do? But if I was in denial about the fact that this was something I actually struggled with, I wouldn't actually be able to get to solutions. So just be really honest with yourself. And one last thing I'll add with the honesty, that also means being honest about what your gifts are. Yes. Give me a number one ADHD workaround. For me, it is any type of accountability. So either body doubling, I do a lot of my work via body doubling, or putting something on the calendar. I am very extrinsically motivated. So for example, if I have a friend over, I will make sure the house is clean because I want them to have a good experience being in my home more so than I care about me having a good experience in my home. So body doubling and accountability in your personal and professional life. I love it. So you are the part, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, you are the perfect person to seek out if you are that woman that wants to change up some things as far as movement and and I'm going to use the term self-care now, community care, all of that in 2024, but you have really struggled with this idea of exercise and it, like it, that's just not who you are and you've never succeeded there. You are the perfect person to start with because you're going to teach that woman how to do this for themselves in a way that works and makes them feel better and makes them have more positive emotion and so they can actually be successful at it. Did I get that right? That's my goal. Yeah. Um, and I'll say like the inner workout is a little tongue in cheek. Like I do have movement training. I'm trained in yoga and all of that, but I really am looking holistically at people's well-being and, and personal development 
But yeah, I I just don't believe in being overly prescriptive. The thing that works for you is going to be the thing that works for you. You're one of one. And honestly, sometimes my clients are a little bit annoyed at first because they're like, Taylor, just give me all of the answers. But then when they work with me to figure out something that works for them, whether it is in their career or in how they move their body or in how they structure their business, all of these different things, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. That me doing it for myself gave me something that I wouldn't get if you just gave me the A through Z map to follow. Because you couldn't do that because they're the expert on them. Exactly. Okay. So now I'm getting it. You are perfect for the person that wants to accomplish anything or do accomplish something or do something differently in their life so they can feel better, regardless of what that is, and feel more like themselves. Yeah. You will I, help I them I think get that's there. 100% it. Okay. I am slowly getting it. Taylor, it was such a pleasure to speak with you. Tell us what I know you're working on the app, but are you working on something else that you want to tell us about in closing that we haven't covered? Yeah. My favorite place to tell people to start is we have this free assessment called the Take Care Assessment. It's a 75-question assessment that measures you across Inner Workout's five dimensions of well-being. And then it spits out this fun PDF report that gives you different practices that you can try. So if you're looking for something specifically where you're like, I'm struggling with self-care. I don't know exactly where to start. Take the assessment. Look at your results. You'll get those three practices. And then there you go. You've got three things that you can try that are exactly what you can use right now. Where do they go for that? If you go to the Inner Workout website, it will be right there on the homepage. Of course it will And that's be. innerworkout.co. Okay. Innerworkout.co. And if they go there, right on the homepage, right there, they will find that questionnaire. Yep. Wonderful. So thank you. Thank you, Taylor. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having me. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks for all the good questions. It really was. Thank you, Taylor. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Taylor, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal, you know our goal, it's to change the conversation around ADHD helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. And don't forget my book, ADHDforsmartasswomen.com forward slash book. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. Join us at ADHDforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.